This episode of Country Queer Spotlight is brought to you by New West Records. Pick up your copy of Aaron Lee Tastian's fourth solo album, Tastian, 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 available now at newwestrecords.com or your local indie record store. Ride me cowboy Till the cows come home Till the cows, till the cows come home Look deep in my eyes Put your hands on my thighs And ride, ride, ride Saddle up, cowpokes, and get ready to hit the trail with Country Queer Spotlight the podcast that introduces you to rising LGBTQ stars on the country scene. Join your host, Rachel Coles, as she chats with her guests about their music, their background, their influences, and more. Let's ride. Ride me, cowboy, till the cows come home. Till the cows, till the cows come home. Deep in my eyes, put your hands on my thighs. Last June, Jake Blount and I came together to discuss his stunning album, Spider Tales. It landed on a number of major media outlets' top 10 of 2020 lists, including NPRs and Bandcamps. There's a reason for that. In our conversation, Jake and I spoke about his mission to raise awareness of black voices in the canon of traditional American music. We also get into the special nature of the queer bluegrass scene, the growth of black musicians in the scene, and how mid-2000s Nine Inch Nails influenced Spider Tales. Before we get into the interview, let's listen to Jake's version of Where Did You Sleep Last Night, which is often also known as In the Pines. Jake interprets this song as commentary on queer youth homelessness.
Tell me where did you sleep last night? In the pines, in the pines, where the sun don't never shine. I would shiver the whole night through. Um, you're with Jake Blount. Super exciting. Your latest album, Spider Tales, was gorgeous. So thank you for giving that to the world. <laughs> um, thank you. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, so I have a couple questions uh, set up, but feel free to deviate as much as you'd like. Um, I guess first is uh, I would use the term old time music to describe your music, but feel free to correct me. Um, but I was wondering if you could tell your listeners about your path to playing banjo and fiddle. Yeah, well, I don't know. I think the, the term old time music is loaded for some people. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily think of it that way, but um, I always tell people I play fiddle and banjo music from black and native American musicians, mostly in the Southeastern United States, uh, which is not a genre, but a sentence, but mm -hmm. sometimes <laughs> the genre is fake and the sentence has to do. So <laughs> that's where I've landed. And yeah, I guess my, my path to it was somewhat circuitous. I grew up playing electric guitar in kind of rock and funk bands down in DC where I grew up. And eventually, um, found my way sort of through history and scholarship of the music to playing it. I um, was in, I guess I was just past my senior year of high school when um, the grand jury made the choice not to indict George Zimmerman for killing Trayvon Martin. And I was at my grandparents' house and went upstairs with uh, this, this, book of of slave songs and spirituals just to kind of acquaint myself with the way that my ancestors had seen the world and what coping mechanisms they had developed so that they could handle uh the level of hatred and degradation that they were encountering obviously i wasn't encountering anything comparable but it was enough to be upsetting to someone who grew up like me in the 90s where we were supposed to be done with this right um so I think that's really where things started for me. And eventually, because I'm a queer person with a complicated relationship to Christianity, and because I personally just don't gravitate that much toward music that kind of relies on death as a way to make things better in the way that the spirituals do, I went looking for other stuff and found out that the banjo and the fiddle were the centerpieces of the secular music that folks were making during slavery and thereafter in the rural South. And that the banjo's first major home in the United States was amongst the enslaved people in the Chesapeake Bay region who were my ancestors. So I found this really direct family connection to that tradition and just decided I wanted to start it and ran into the right people at the right time and got a couple lessons from my advisor, Lydia Hammersley. Um, who is a queer country scholar. And um, we, uh, yeah, she sent me on the right path and I just kind of dove in. So I don't, I wanna stop using the word old time then. I was wondering uh, why is it important for you to make a distinction? Um, do you think there's something like that could replace it more accurately? Or in a way that's not- I've heard a lot in? of people, yeah. I've heard a lot of people go to string band music mm -hmm. for that purpose. Uh, I think that works just fine, and I've used that quite a bit. I think for me, the big problem with old time is that it references these kind of genre divisions that were put in place at the outset of the early recording industry in the South, which were partially based on the race of the performers and the race of the target demographics for those records. So the idea when they created Hillbilly Records, as they called it at the time, we now call that stuff old time, that was by white musicians and for white people. And a lot of black people who are playing the music, the folks that I'm now spending so much time and you know basing my career around, they were written out of the story because they weren't considered marketable. So for me, the term old time 
and really any synonymous term that you would use for that same genre references this kind of racist fabrication of what the musical landscape of the South really was. And I don't view old time and blues and gospel and bluegrass as being these neatly separable categories. For me, it's really about different ways of voicing some of the same musical themes and same lyrical themes that you find throughout all of those genres. So I don't know. I, I came to a place with this album of, of adopting the term genre queer. I don't know where I first heard that, um, but, but really finding some freedom in questioning those boundaries and kind of mashing all of those traditions together and seeing what came out. Yeah, I mean, I think the album, like I don't uh, spend as much time or I need to learn more about um, more traditional music. Um, but yeah, I could tell the album skips into a lot of different uh, traditions that would have otherwise been kept separate. Like there are some dances that sound to me like uh, reels, like a Scottish reel or something, because I was a nerd and I took Scottish country dancing for gym credit in college. Um, <laughs> Uh, it was a great way to get that credit in. Um, but then also we've got songs that sound more like the blues or spirituals. Uh, and I was wondering, uh, how did you go about deciding what was going to be recorded for this album? And how did you kind of, I'm sure you had a very long list of songs you wanted to record. So what was the process for coming with the list that you ended up with? I think for me, it was sort of a, a mixed process of um, things that I had organically learned over the past few years. Like Tatiana and I recorded Tatiana Hargraves, who plays fiddle on the album. We recorded my first EP reparations together three years ago now. And while we were touring that, you know, opening shows for Rhiannon Giddens and playing, you know, two 45 minute sets places, we had to learn a lot more material than we originally had. So part of it was finding a home for some of the things that we'd been working on for the intervening two years between reparations and when this album was recorded, uh, which was earlier this fall. And I think the rest sort of came out of me teasing out themes that were apparent in that music that I had just learned at the time. So things that perhaps were important to me throughout that time period. Uh, but I needed to shape a little bit more as I figured out how to put together my final message. So to me, that took the form of learning Mad Mama's Blues, uh, working with my friend Cameron to come up with an arrangement for that, uh, arranging the Angels Done Bound Down for a full band, because Tatiana and I have been doing that acapella for forever, and coming up with more songs, more tunes that really got at the emotional center of the message I was trying to get across, and things that made the themes I saw explicit enough to be perceived clearly by the listener. Yeah. Uh, could you, for people who haven't had a chance to listen yet, um, for you, what are some of the themes that you felt like you wanted to draw out from this archive of music? I think for me, the number one thing was questioning this narrative that I feel like people have really strongly been sold of string band music and especially black string band music as being this super cheerful, upbeat thing all the time. Um, when I first started playing, I constantly encountered problems where I would go play a show, speak in my own opinion very directly to systemic injustices being perpetrated against black people in this country speak in a very passionate and direct way about it and have people come up afterward and say things to me about how nice it was to, you know, have this happy music, et cetera. People didn't always seem to grasp what I was saying because the preconceived notion that they'd entered the concert with was too strong, right? They were so focused on what they expected me to be doing with the music that they didn't listen to what I was saying. And this album came out of a desire to 
tease out the sort of anger and demands for justice and resentment that I see simmering in the Black traditional music canon throughout history. There's a really long history there of expressing anger and expressing vengefulness and fury in ways that were somewhat covert because if you stated those things outright, you would have been killed for it. And finding things like the angels done bowed down, which is who knows how old and the spiritual about, you know, begging God to cleanse the earth of injustice um, of Mad Mama's Blues, where we don't necessarily get a cause, but it's this black woman in the 1920s talking about how she wants to burn the world down uh, and have blood running in the streets. You think about the many things that a black woman in 1920 would have had to make her feel that way. I think there's uh, a common thread throughout the album of embracing the darker and less compromising side of the tradition. I felt that that had not been served uh, and not been paid proper attention to. So I really wanted to direct my time there and I really couldn't have timed it better if I'd intended to, right? It came out minutes after the police precinct burned in Minneapolis. (laughs) So I think it was a timely example of the fact that this has been a long time coming. What we're Mm -hmm. seeing now is the result centuries of this common feeling and uh it shows up in the music it does now that we've heard a bit about what jake wants us to get out of spider tales let's take a listen to mad mama's blues wanna set the world on fire that is my one my desire oh i'm a devil in disguise I've got murder in my eyes Now I could see blood running through the streets Now I could see blood running through the streets Could be everybody laying dead right at my The man who invented war sure is my friend The man who invented war sure is my friend If you don't believe that I'm sinking Just look what a hole I am Thank you. 
This episode of Country Queer Spotlight is brought to you by New West Records. Aaron Lee Tastian's fourth solo album, Tastian, 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 pushes the boundaries of taste and imagination to new heights, unrestrained by genre or subject matter. Available now at newwestrecords.com or your favorite local indie record store. You're listening to Country Queer Spotlight, the podcast that introduces you to rising LGBTQ stars on the country scene. You can find more queer country content and merch at countryqueer.com. Now, back to the show with your host, Rachel Colst. I mean, I was going to ask you about uh, your audiences, especially touring with Rhiannon Giddens, um, about like who generally comes to those shows. And um, I imagine that you have to put a lot of emotional work into having those conversations with people who clearly didn't get it. Yeah, I would, I would say a lot of people did not come up and talk to me about it. Right. There are certain things that I would say and I could see people in the audience being very uncomfortable, but only a couple times have I had someone come up to me after the show and like want to argue about it. Um, and the first one of those times that comes to mind is actually the very first show I ever played as a professional musician. I had, you know, we were playing stuff from John Henry, Tatiana and I opening for this really awesome Cajun band. And, you know, it was like, barrels full of jambalaya like cookout situation it was incredible and we played our little set had a good time it was our first real public show so we were stoked about it and this older white woman with like you know the blue streak in her hair and all that stuff came up to me and was just like it's so good to see a young black person learning from the older generations because today's black people are just too angry. And that's really like where the inspiration for this album came out of. Like I went back to Tatiana's that night and we learned the angels done bowed down then and there. Cause I was like, there's no way I'm going to keep putting on this show if people are going to keep sanitizing what I'm doing and like making me into one of the good ones so they can diss all the other black people. And I wouldn't say that I had that experience, especially on the road with Rhiannon, which obviously they were her shows, so the focus was on her, and it should have been, and she's incredible. Um, but it was also the biggest audience that I've had. I don't play rooms that size on my mm-hmm. own, so not yet. I think we got a much larger sample of how people were going to react to the material. And at one point, a woman came up to me and whenever I play the song John Henry, I talk about mass incarceration and the enslavement of convicts in this country, bring up the labor issues and the human rights issues. And she came up to me and said, I was really confused when you said that slavery still isn't illegal in this country. And I said, well, you know, in the 13th Amendment, there's an exception made so that we can legally enslave incarcerated people. And she said to me, but they have food and a place to stay in shelter. And I said, so did the slaves. <laughs> she, she just went real quiet and her husband just kind of grabbed her and they walked out. <laughs> it, was, it was a really awkward moment. Um, but yeah. also clearly she was hesitant enough after I made that comment, I think I reached her with something there. Um, Overwhelmingly, the people who come to these shows tend to be white folks. And that has changed a lot in the time that I've been playing the music. I know it's changed even more since Rhiannon started playing. Um, There's this really great event that happens once a year in Orange, Virginia, called the Afro Latchin On Time Music Gathering. Yes. it's it's incredible. It's incredible. It's like a semi-private event. So a lot of it is for invite only. And we get together and talk through the things that we're working on and what we want to see addressed. And then we put on a public concert this year. And 
Rihanna made like a surprise appearance. Like she told maybe me and one other person that she was coming, but she didn't even tell the woman hosting it because she wanted to surprise her. So she like rolls up from the Americana Awards with her Americana Award like in a tote bag. Amazing. <laughs> Just hanging out. And she walked in and I swear one of the first things she said to me was, I can't believe there are people here I don't know already. That's awesome. Right, that there are enough black people playing the music now that she got to see new faces coming to an event for us. And that was just so, such a powerful moment because she's been, you know, such a example and such a leader and so supportive of so many of us. Uh, to know that she sees the changes being that was really, really exciting to me. Yeah, I just got chills hearing that. Who do you consider like some of your artistic influences uh, for listeners who want to start exploring more or readers? The biggest one would be a band called The Horseflies from Ithaca, New York. And two of them, the banjo youth player and the fiddle player, actually uh, produced this album. Uh, Jeff Klaus and Judy Hyman, and I I had a weird feeling when I first came into old time music, right? I came from this like super like Southern, you know, my family's from Southern Virginia. This is something we did. I was really invested from that perspective and then found this band from like upstate New York that was playing with this new wave kind of sound, right? They were really big in the 80s and 90s. And I really resonated with it for some reason and realized later on when I was kind of thinking about why that's the sound that caught me, this like really heavy backbeat and this really strong groove in the fiddle. It's the first representation of queer aesthetics in old time music after mm. the era of queens right that's like the b-52s and you know the whole like what they call them art bag back in the day that whole set like making their appearance in our genre it was really cool to hear that and i spent easily the first four years of playing fiddle just trying to be judy hyman like just pulling up videos of her going every time she played in ithaca i'd like drive two hours and go see and try to copy what she did uh, and developed a pretty convincing imitation <laughs> if I do say so myself. Uh, so that's definitely my biggest stylistic influence. I would say a bunch of the other ones also play on the album. I have learned so much from playing next to Tatiana Hargraves for the past three years. Uh, she's just an incredible musician. Um, I think, honestly, this is not a, an influence that anyone I think would readily grasp from listening to my music i was on a huge like mid 2000s nine inch nails kick when we recorded this album and i feel like the tempo choices and the groove on a lot of the tracks came out of that and the way that i chose to vary my parts going through it was definitely informed by how trent Reznor sort of builds on his themes and arranges the parts to create something that has a really consistent pattern to it, but also is ever changing and really, really gripping. So that's something that I've tried to incorporate, but I'm very certain no one would, would go there without <laughs> me telling them. <laughs> I mean, definitely that sense of kind of like foreboding and like ominous. Yeah. It makes sense when you think about it. First, let's listen to Nine Inch Nails, The Hand That Beads from their controversial 2005 album With Teeth. Then, we'll hear a song Jake has already mentioned in this interview, The Angels Done Bowed Down, from Spider Tales.
you about that is uh you know many of these songs were written or passed down so long ago i was wondering how would you say you've shifted your performance both on the recording or on stage uh, to give them like a queer reading i would say sometimes it's you know changing words or whatever that has never really felt like enough to me for some reason because people tend to not pick up on it um or rather only the people in the room who are queer will pick up on it um so I've been doing that as long as I've been performing. All the old time songs that I sing are directed at male romantic counterparts. I think other than that, a big part of it for me was blending the genres in the way that I did. Um, I think kind of flying in the face of the idea of tradition or conventions in the genre in including the banjo uke and the Ithaca sound in a really strong and shameless way of giving voice to my own interpretations, even though there's a lot of pressure in the old time scene to kind of squash our individual voices and try to just pedantically imitate what other people have done, which does have value. And I really respect and appreciate the folks who spend all their time figuring out every individual bow stroke and note that someone on an old recording played. That's not what I was there to do. So I think for me, it was about finding ways to engage in tradition and in culture, but in a way that felt authentic to myself and that was not constrained by anyone else's restrictions, whether that be in the case of genre or performance style or aesthetic. It was meant to be those people on the album using their own voices 
to the best of their ability. And everyone performing on the album, except when Jeff and Judy made their cameo, is queer. The whole backing band is queer. We're gender balanced, despite there being five of us. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's really cool to know, you know, that I, I put that band together. I was just dreaming up like my A-team of awesome musicians I wanted to record with and then realized months after the fact that everyone on it was queer uh, and was just like, wow, that we've come far enough that I could do that unintentionally. It's just really <laughs> exciting. Yeah, I was uh, just talking with uh, Justin and Kara about the Porch Pride uh, Festival and they were saying the same thing, that it's exciting to have so many people in the Rolodex. Um, and so I was gonna ask, uh, you know, obviously both queer and black people face a number of barriers in traditional music and roots music and well, any kind of music really. Um, I was wondering if you could speak to what your experiences have been. Um, I mean, you've had people have challenged you, but it also sounds like you've helped to build like a wonderful community as well. Yeah, I think I would say, although everywhere has its troubles, the old time scene is the most inclusive subset of the Americana or folk or whatever you want to call it scene. Um, there have been queer people in it for decades now who have been out, who have been attending festivals together openly. And coming into it, right, I went to Clifftop my first time, which is, for those who don't know, uh, our biggest festival and kind of the taste-making event of the year for old time. The people who win the contest there tend to go on and get hired at all the camps, teach everybody, develop their own weird little old time cults. It's, <laughs> it's uh, part of what happened. And the first time I went, I just ran into probably three, four different lesbian couples just hanging out. You know, there are other gay men my age. I have not met any who are older who play. Um, but I felt more supported and held by the queer community within old time than any I found anywhere else. I think as someone who just by preference doesn't drink, um, and who is brown and who is not in a gym 24 seven, I felt like really frozen out of a lot of conventional queer spaces, especially queer male spaces. And to find this group of people that all had this thing in common that were participating in something together and had our own jokes and our own scene and all of that, there is a queer old time crowd that feels discreet, though not separate. You know, we're not unwelcome anywhere else, but we have our own thing going. I felt really attached to that. And I think that being a part of that scene and being a part of the black old time scene, which overlaps considerably. I think the yeah. majority of the black old time musicians that I know, including hobbyists, not the professionals, um, are queer. And it's really cool to me to witness how that plays out. There's a really diverse and awesome and inclusive queer scene in this music. And I've found that to be incredible. I have occasionally run into opposition, right? There are a lot of white folklorists and musicians who think that they know my culture better than I do and will, you know, criticize my work because I'm not doing a good enough job at giving voice to my own traditions or, uh, you know, folks who maybe are class reductionist in a certain way and feel like, I am co-opting this music, even though I come by it honestly, because I was raised bourgeoisie, right? I'm not from the rural South. Uh, my dad moved to DC before I was born. Um, you know, my parents had me there. So there's a lot of, I'm not sure exactly how to put it. There are conflicting loyalties, I guess, within the genre, and everyone wants to do their best to preserve the music, and people have really different ideas about how that ought to be done. And some people have really crossed the line, but for the most part, 
I would say people have been understanding and supportive of what I've been doing. And when the gay sweep happened at ClickTop last year, people were celebrating. I yeah. mean, the fact that those biggest contests, for those who are listening, if you wind up using this audio, um, at that big festival I mentioned before where the contest sort of, uh, the big names all go to compete and the winners gain it's the most cachet you can get. Uh, you will become very important to a very small number of people <laughs> if you win clip that. Um, every single category was won by a queer musician. Um, and some of those are bands, so obviously not everyone in the band mm -hmm. was queer, but every band had um, at least one queer person in it. Uh, almost half of the winners were queer people of color. So there's... Um, a real sense of momentum and people are really excited for us and to be us. <laughs> it's a really cool thing. Yeah. Um, so I guess on that note, my last question will be, uh, who's a queer country or roots or traditional string band artist that you'd like to shout out maybe from that list of uh, winners? Hmm. <laughs> you can de you can definitely say more than one. Oh well, that's that's just opening Pandora's box. <laughs> it's okay. You don't you don't well, have to. Well, I guess um, someone whose musicianship I've always been incredibly impressed by, and who's always had a very I think important voice to setting the tone for discussions of race and colonialism and queerness, all of that, in the old time scene is Nicosi Fields, who mm. won the fiddle contest last year at Cliff Top. I won banjo, so we were the two solo category winners. And um, he's just a sharp mind and understated, you know? <laughs> um, he will let his, appear, his opinions be known, but through these, like, really funny and clever memes that he posts online. And even aside from that, just on a sheer musicianship level, I mean, his work in Hard Drive, uh, which is a really great band with, with Tatiana Hargraves on fiddle, Sonia Bedeghian on guitar, Aaron Packey on banjo, uh, and Nikosi playing bass. That was one of my favorite old time records of all time. I still listen to it constantly. And I'm still waiting for his fiddle record because he is one of the best fiddle players I've ever heard. Uh, and it hasn't happened yet. So I am waiting with bated breath for Nicosi <laughs> to throw that out there for sure. I really, really respect his, his views and his musicianship. I had a hard time getting complete videos of the songs that earned Nicosi his victory at Cliff Top in 2019. But we'll listen to his version of Ladies on the Steamboat, which won him first place at the ASU Old Time Fiddlers Convention. After that, Jake will play our way out with Roustabout from his 2020 album, Spider Tales.
fishing Tie your hook and line When you go court Go the willing mind This episode of Country Queer Spotlight is brought to you by New West Records. Pick up your copy of Aaron Lee Tastian's fourth solo album, Tastian, 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 available now at newwestrecords.com or your local indie record store. Well, cowpokes, we've reached the end of the trail for this episode. Thanks for listening to Country Queer Spotlight the podcast that introduces you to rising LGBTQ stars on the country scene. Head on over to countryqueer.com for more queer country content and merch. Rachel Colst has been your host and producer. For new music by Roots artists of all genders and orientations, listen to her weekly podcast, Adobe and Teardrops. Country Queer Spotlight is edited by Zach Tomlinson, executive produced by Country Queer's founder, Dale Geist. And our theme song, Ride Me Cowboy by Paisley Fields, is courtesy of Don Giovanni Records. Mm-hmm.